I can feel you pulling things around in there. It's a brand new organ. Never before seen. We've all felt that the body was empty. Empty of meaning. And we've wanted to confirm that. So that we could fill it with meaning. The world is a much more dangerous place now that pain has all but disappeared. to map the chaos inside. Let us create a map that will guide us into the heart of darkness. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike joining me, as always. It's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, conceptual artists with weird body fetishes. Ah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How the hell are you doing? I am doing well. It's the first week, officially, of my kids being out of school, so... Uh-oh. Um, this is, this is where working from home gets dangerous because it basically means I'm with my kids all day, every day for what the next two and a half to three months. So it's going to get interesting. Well, Must have house stocked with lots of food at all times, basically. <laughs> and family <laughs> Serbian film showings. <laughs> yes. Uh, Serbian film and sallow all day. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah, you think I'm tough on you kids? Well, check these out. <laughs> check out these fascists. <laughs> All right, joining us as well, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, that's great. Always great to be here. Um, although that may come back to haunt me today. But um, yeah, uh, always fun to talk to you guys. <laughs> okay, well, we are covering the new David Cronenberg movie. Should be no surprise. We pretty much said so at the end of last episode and for the most part theatrical releases um will be covered as they release so this one is no different so crimes of the future it is and i will humans adapt to a synthetic environment with new transformations and mutations with his partner caprice saul celebrity performance artist publicly showcased the metamorphosis of his organs in an avant-garde performance or performances all right written and directed by david cronenberg so yeah this is a cronenberg vehicle Vigo morrison Kristen stewart uh leia sado i think yes leia sado best i can pronounce it so you got it okay 
All right. So with that, we will get into our general thoughts, and I'll kick it to Venom as we always do. So Venom, uh, Crimes of the Future. What did you think? All right, folks. Well, um, as you probably remember from last week, I was very much looking forward to this movie. Something that I always try to avoid is, you know, hype and over overly anticipating any particular film. And even though I tried to fight it, you know, it's still Cronenberg. It's his first movie in almost a decade. And I was and, and it's a return to body horror. So obviously the, the, the big question is, is Crimes of the Future a return to the classic body horror of uh, Cronenberg's past? And in this humble podcaster's opinion, I'm going to have to say this is not that movie. Walking out of the film, I kind of felt like it was um, Cronenberg light. Like this movie feels like diet Videodrome to me. You know what I mean? Like it, it has a lot of the same elements of Videodrome, Crash, maybe even a little bit of Existence in there. But it just, to me, it was just so underwhelming. I will say the movie is a gorgeous film. Um, as far as this filmmaking goes, um, that that's still there. If anything, his direction has gotten better because I will highlight some of the performances in this film. I was, to me, the highlight of this film is in its performances. I think Viggo Mortensen does a great job as a kind of broken person in this futuristic world where humans don't feel pain and can't get infections, which obviously, you know, for anybody who's seen the trailer, you kind of know where where it's kind of going from there, where extreme body modifications and surgery are, you know, as they say in the trailer and multiple times in the film, surgery is the new sex. And unfortunately... I was not aroused at any point in this movie, unlike Videodrome, which, you know, both consciously and subconsciously is a very arousing film. Uh, this one for me just was not, even though this one had a lot of nudity in it. Um, I mean, where do I start with my issues with this film? First and foremost, it's going to be the world building. There's almost no world building in this movie. Like we get we get a little cold open that kind of sets up the type of humanity that we're looking at in this film. And. And then we go right into the story of, of Vigo and Caprice, uh, should I say Vigo's character, Saul Tenser, and his assistant Caprice. And basically, you know, they are conceptual artists that, you know, do basically body modifications as art, as conceptual art. Um, I won't get too much more into plot points, just in case it delves into spoilers, because I still haven't seen the trailer for this. Usually I'll watch the trailer after I see the film, but I just haven't had a chance to here. So, um, yeah, th this is um, it's very underwhelming to me. Like there's yes, there's body horror, but the body horror, it's it's almost kind of I don't want to say silly, but ah. Uh, I'm I'm having trouble putting it into words how I feel about this because I'm not going to say I hated the film. Definitely not. Um, it is not one of my favorite Cronenberg films. It is probably one of my lesser Cronenberg, um, you know, movies that I enjoy. Um, like I said, from a technical aspect, this movie is great. From a storytelling aspect, it has a lot of problems. Um, pacing is weird throughout. I mean, you know, You'll get this great scene with, you know, the, the first bit of conceptual art between um, Saul and Caprice. And then you get like a 40 minute lull of just backstory and character development. And then we get the introduction of these new types of humans, which I won't get into here. But um, 
that kind of look to be looking to shape the world more into their benefit. And um, obviously it's a horror film or at least a horror adjacent film. So things do go awry. Um, so ultimately, if you're a Cronenberg fan, I think you're still going to enjoy the movie. I can't really say that it's going to end up being one of your favorites unless you're more into the artistic and subtext of a Cronenberg film, which even with this film, as I mentioned earlier, I don't, I don't think it has a fraction of the subtext that Videodrome has. Yes, there's a lot about in here about art, you know, the, the, the world of art and how it's perceived both inside and out. Um, especially in this film, you know, no pun intended, but uh, it just, I don't know, it just felt lacking to me in almost every way. I, I, I didn't, as I've already said, I didn't dislike this film, but there's very little about it that I'm really going to be able to rave about outside of the performances. And wow, dude, Kristen Stewart, Kristen Stewart was actually a human being in this movie. Like she actually had emotions, which to me, and I don't watch a lot of Kristen Stewart, mind you. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of jumping on the bandwagon of a very, very old joke. I understand that. But this is the first performance where I've actually seen her emote. And that was impressive to me. And even kind of the nature of her character actually left me wanting more. I wish we would have actually had more of Kristen Stewart. Those are words I never thought would ever escape my mouth. But yeah, there it is. I actually really enjoyed her character and really wished, especially considering the 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 part that she played in this whole, you know, uh, mystery of, you know, what's actually going on with these humans that are developing new organs in their bodies. Um, I, I just felt like that part of it should have been explored a little bit more. Her character, to me, seemed really, really interesting. Like I said, especially once we get the reveal of what she actually did. And ultimately, once we get that reveal, we never see her again in the film. And that's disappointing to me. She, you know, it, it almost felt like she could have been the big bad of this movie. I mean, if this movie even has a big bad. I, I, no, no. I, it's a weird movie. You know, it's not traditional antagonists and protagonists here. So I'm just going to cut myself off short and say it's a very well-made movie. It's a beautiful-looking film, very bleak, very dark, but everything is still nice and well-lit. You can see everything. It's just this story really doesn't do a lot for me. You know, this the story has potential. And then the other, the last thing I'm going to say is they spent the second half of the movie building up an event, an event that was that was going to happen that I was incredibly excited for. I'm like, OK, this is where it's going to finally be a Cronenberg movie when we get to this event that they've been hyping up. And then it doesn't happen. We don't get the event. The movie just ends. And that to me, I mean, the movie wrote a check that uh, the story couldn't cash. And that's upsetting to me. Because now I'm left wondering, ooh, what could have happened in that scene had they actually filmed it and put it on there? So, yeah, so overall a good film, but just very underwhelming for me. Okay, how about you, Don? Yeah, I've made no secret of the past that I absolutely hate Cronenberg. Um, he was never even a contention for a master of horror um, as far as I was concerned. Um, even the film that I actually really like, because I only really like one of his films. Um, I, I still think The Fly is his best film. But even that, I, I'm still not highly in, like invested in or like I really will go to bat and say it's like an all-time classic. So I've never really been a huge fan of him, um, even though, you know, a lot of his films for me fall outside the bucket that uh, I only really find 
like a couple of his films to actually fall within the genre. So, I mean, he's Cronenberg has just never really been my guy, and to me, that continues with this. Um, I, I mean, as of right now, um, I'm really anticipating Black Lasses because this is going to be the fi- the worst film I've ever seen as a director's final film. Uh, the, this is just an absolute tra- train wreck. Uh, the a story that is just so uninteresting that I'm not emotionally invested in it in the slightest. I have no interest in anybody here. Um, I completely forgot everybody's name 10 minutes after the film ended. <laughs> and th- this isn't uh, much of a complaint about that, but did anybody else ever have an issue with the dialogue in this? Because I was hoping to God that this, they would put subtitles up because I couldn't hear a damn word anybody was saying in this. Um, it was kind of low. I mean, I, I won't say that I had any trouble with it. I mean, obviously, I saw it in a theater, so not loud yeah. ass audio. But um, I, I can see a complaint about it about the audio. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I could barely tell what was going on, and I, I mean, I doubt it would have actually clarified matters much for me, because the this like you said, the the story to this is just absolutely all over the place. Uh, I mean, there's just nothing here going on that just draws you in and makes it actually interesting. Um, you know, we're dropped into this world with no rhyme or reason as to you know how these people have developed into what they are why surgery is even that important to them, you know. Everything in this film never really answers the why. And to me, that's that, that's a big issue because why is always the most important factor for me in stories, and this never answers one of them. Like, why is surgery so important? Why are these people together? Why is, you know, society developed into this, condition to where you want people to mutilate themselves you know where does you know why does the surgery become gratifying you know none of this is ever explained and we're dropped into this world where that's the case and i kind of want that and you know none of that is ever explored frankly for a cronenberg film none of this was really all that shocking um i mean if if you're expecting surgery scenes to be shocking uh, you know, that came, went out of vogue 20, 30 years ago. Like, it just felt like it was trying too hard to think that, you know, seeing open wounds and sores was, you know, shocking and revolting and grotesque. Like, seriously? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, hell, what we saw last week with, you know, the birthing scene was far more revolting than anything that happened in here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know... If you're going into this, you know, expecting to be shocked and grossed out by this, you're not going to find anything here that, you know, hasn't been done dozens of times over. And to me, that was kind of like the the big thing with this, because as much as I don't want to call this a horror film, because I don't think it is, if you're going into this thinking that this is going to be shocking or scary or just, you know, generally disturbing, like you supposedly find in the rest of his films... Uh, there's none of it here. Um, yeah, uh, I, I see where you're coming from with the technical issues because I don't have much of an issue to say there. Yeah, it looks good. You know, this future society kind of, you know, has this nice little sheen and polish to it that kind of has, you know, it, it, it looks kind of like a future, like a future society that could emerge uh, sometime down the line. But uh, other than that, uh, yeah, there's 
there's little here for me, and I, I'm kind of just hoping Cronenberg just retires quietly. <laughs> okay. Um, were you done? You were done, Doc? Yeah, that was um, what the pause was for. Yeah. I just want to make sure. Well, that's why I ended it okay. on I hope um, it retires. I, thought, I figured that would have been a the perfect ending statement. <laughs> okay. Um, For me, yeah, I like the movie. Seems like quite a bit more than you guys did. I'd find this probably, uh, I would call it a companion piece to Videodrome. If I had to pick one movie, I think it explores a lot of similar themes. I think, um, whereas Videodrome was more about technology or tech itself uh, changing humans, I think this is more about the environment around us and the things we've done to the environment that changed uh, humans. Um, obviously can't really elaborate on that until spoilers because if I, for me, the only real issue I had with this movie was I think that throughout the story, we get introduced to like, you know, various side characters that kind of pop in and out without much explanation of like mm-hmm. what they're all about. We get general ideas like, okay, this, this guy's working on this, this person's kind of related to everyone because of this, but we only really get them sprinkled in. And then like certain characters end up doing certain things throughout the movie that seem like it'd be something major that they just did. And it kind of like moves on from it quickly. Mm-hmm. I actually thought that, it moved for a movie. It's it's just under two hours. Um, it's listed as hour and forty seven on IMDb. I actually thought it it flew by, even though it didn't feel like it was fast paced. Like there was nothing deliberately fast paced about the movie. It's just when we got to that final scene, I didn't realize it, that much time had already gone by. Um, I thought all the performances were great. I definitely agree with Venom. Kristen Stewart. This is. A plus for her. Um, anyone that's still kind of in the rut of like, does Kristen Stewart ever want to like act on screen? Well, well, she's doing it here. I yeah, I thought she was like, I, I'm still kind of thinking of her performance. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe she just really identified with the role, or you know, I actually thought she was something hot in it once. spoke to her. But yeah, yeah, I thought she I was thought. awful. No, I thought she was hot for once. Hot, hot, hot. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I think like when you said it, I was. Like, oh just, no, I, I, I was saying so. I thought she actually looked hot for once. Yeah, she definitely had like a plain Jane good looks to her in this one. Like not overtly hot, but you know, very well. Yeah, very I, cute, I, for, definitely. Considering all like the the nudity from other characters, mm-hmm. I thought her character was the most like seductive or sensual. Like I, I don't know. Yep. Well, Neither of those might be yeah, the right term, but... Well, no, that's what I was going on, was that, yeah, you're getting, you know, characters going full nude on this, but her being, you know, this kind of, like, mysterious seductress that just kind of floats around in the periphery of everything, she was actually far more attractive than anybody else that we were supposed to be normally attracted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think... I, I think, yeah, a lot of the... Not that I've ever ever complained about nudity, but I think like some of the other scenes with nudity, it, 
it rang hollow, not for the movie itself, but I think it was just to make a point where like there was nothing else to it where just the way she was acting and the way she was, you know, delivering dialogue and just the character herself. Uh, she was very interested for multiple reasons. And, you know, I, I just thought she did a good job portraying that kind of character. Um, what else do I got? Um, I don't know. That might be it for general thoughts. I mean, I, I will say this. I, I think Cronenberg, he he is the type of director, or maybe even more writer than director. I, I think this is more like the stories in his writing itself that this wouldn't be the first movie that on first watch, because even I, I'll even admit, like when I saw Videodrome the, for the first time, I was so young that, yes, I appreciate all like the weird icky stuff in it but i was way too young to understand any of the subtext I, I didn't really understand what was going on besides literally what you like would audibly you know audibly see on screen it wasn't until like i saw it later on being you know a little bit older and like maybe like reading other reviews or what you know really being able to dig into the material so i think cronenberg as a writer director i, I think that it isn't abnormal for a lot of his movies on a first watch. I mean, I would, I would say the later half of his career, once he got outside of like sci-fi horror stuff, stuff like, you know, Eastern promises and history of violence, those are in a different category. I don't think you need multiple watches to really get what's going on there. But a lot of his earlier work, a lot of his body horror stuff, I, I think the body horror is that cool kind of window dressing to them. And it's on second and third watches that you start to dissect the material itself. And, you know, maybe identify more with it or maybe not, but just, you know, maybe more appreciation for what he was going for. So I don't even think like all my thoughts on it after this watch will do it justice, whether I end up liking it more or less, you know, on multiple watches. I just think he's that type of um, writer with his stuff. So I think, you know, time will tell with this one, but I, I do kind of like, put it as a companion piece to video drum because i think a lot of similar things are trying to be said just for different reasons um mm -hmm. but yeah video i guess drum. i'll leave it <laughs> what what was that, what was that? Uh, diet video drum again i love that term I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna use it a lot i might get i might get a t-shirt made I, I just like i said i i feel like video drum actually went for it it actually tried to make a very nasty, dirty statement, and it did it successfully, whereas this one is also trying to make a nasty, dirty statement, but it does it from the from the lens of like a, an almost like an a two four director like it's more it's more art house than it is um you know visceral and you know it, to be expected, I guess as directors get older, it's not like they're gonna get even more visceral and insane with their films. they're generally gonna get a little bit more grounded more. Um, in tune with their own filmmaking. But yeah, this one, you know, I, I, I'll, I won't take anything away from it from a technical standpoint. Great soundtrack, great editing, cinematography. Um, there, technically, there's nothing, you know, that I can really nitpick about the film. But yeah, this story just didn't do it for me. Like there was so much potential where this could have gone um, and it just didn't go to any of those places. And then, and mind you, I'm not looking for like an absolute gore fest, you know, vomit inducing body horror. I knew that's not what we were going to get with this film, but I wanted to see his progression with 
the statements that he's making about uh, the nature of beauty and the nature of art. And, and it just, I don't know, it just wasn't there here in this one for me. I mean, this is a personal statement, obviously, obviously this resonated more with Mike and, and that's cool. I'm jealous because I wanted to like this more, but as I, you know, at walking out of the theater, you know, after watching it, it's like, I, I thought, well, it was good. If any other director would have made this movie, I would probably be praising it. But the fact that Cronenberg made it, um, I can't really praise it. I can praise its visuals, but I can't praise its storytelling. It just didn't. And and actually, I'm going to disagree with a statement that Mike made earlier where he was talking about sometimes the first watch for Cronenberg movies doesn't always hit the same way. I've never had that problem. I love all Cronenberg. Almost every Cronenberg film I've ever seen, I've loved on first watch, including his newer stuff, History of Violence. I love Eastern Promises. Eastern Promises is such an underrated film. Um, I wish more people, especially genre fans, would watch it. It is not a genre film by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it speaks to a lot of us in that sense. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. History of Violence is pretty good, too. Um, but yeah, man, when I watch his movies the first time, I usually have an ear-to-ear -ear grin on my face. I mean, Existence, I, I went to the theater to see that with my wife, and we both raved about it for weeks afterwards even though that's one of his lesser talked about films as well so i was actually i was actually planning to watch that one before like last week in the lead up because i was like oh a new cronenberg is coming out i want to watch like mm -hmm. some cronenberg and that's the one i was going to watch and i just didn't have time but i might watch it like yeah tonight i mean actually. this movie like i said this movie definitely feels like videodrome crash and existence you know, kind of had a weird three-way baby, and that was Crimes of the Future. Um, again, a beautiful film with a story that just does, didn't resonate with me, that's all. But still still a quality film, still something all Cronenberg fans should see, and all genre fans, really. It's not going to speak to all genre fans, as Don highlighted, but I still think it should be watched. And it's in theaters, it's a genre film in theaters, so I, w I would always say go support the genre. You know, if you want more movies like this coming out in theaters, especially more artistic horror, uh, we, we got to support it. So um, I'm probably still going to, even though this movie didn't resonate with me very much after first watch, I am going to go see it again this coming weekend. Um, I actually have some free time this coming weekend, so I'll check out the new release that I assume we'll be doing on Fresh Cuts, and then uh, I'm going to check that one out again, too, just to see if Mike's words hold true. Maybe my opinion will change. I'm completely receptive to that idea that potentially it could get better but the track record i have with cronenberg is it hits me the first time or it probably just isn't going to hit me so we'll see I, i'm open to it i want it to be better obviously i want i want to like it more so maybe this is as dave z said second watches are important so i will definitely give this one a second watch very soon uh, just to see if my opinion changes but my opinions rarely change after second watches so i, I can't imagine it's going to change that much yeah, um, I mean, I would say, I would say for me too. Like, you got to remember the through the first half of his career, being a decade younger, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Like, I I was seeing like stuff like uh, Shivers and Rabid, Scanners, all that kind of stuff when you know I was like eleven, twelve. So it was like, oh, this is cool. But beyond that, I. Uh, what's going on but you know so mm -hmm. by the time i saw him for a second time then i was probably more age ready to like really dig in you know yeah absolutely no definitely uh that's a great thing about cronenberg movies they're very subjective i mean he obviously has a very 
obvious message that he's trying to portray, but as a viewer, you could take multiple messages out of this. Um, hell, you could even kind of look at um, elements of the Me Too movement in this movie. Very, very small elements of it, but still, there are elements of there of it in here. So, well, did you did you guys kind of feel like there was almost a whole other movie to be made with the the cult people? And I don't yes. want to elaborate on that yet because it'll uh, devolve into spoilers. But sure, like I. I guess that's another thing that I can mention about, you know, that I, I, I kind of wanted to know what was, what more was going on with them because I almost felt like what they were up to was kind of more important just yeah. as far as the world goes, because it like, it was based on, you know, something going on with the environment and they, they were basically like trying to speed up the process by what they were doing. Exactly. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Like I, I thought that all their antics would like kind of loop around more somewhere at some point in the movie. And it was kind of like, no, like they're, they're a catalyst for something we get later on, but not so much like the cult and their mission itself. Mm -hmm. It was more just, an outcome of something that happened related. You right? Like that's how they all got linked. But. Exactly. I mean, that, that kind of goes back to Don's point, how nothing is explored in this movie. They introduce multiple aspects. They, they introduce, um, you know, a couple of female characters that turn out to be a little bit more interesting than I thought they would be, but then they just leave it flat. Like we find out nothing about them once they do what it is they're supposed to do in the film. And, you know, same thing with, like I said, the second half of the movie building up this big event that sounds like it's going to be, you know, Lovecraft meets Cronenberg. And then we don't get it. It's like, why would you even fucking mention it? Why even talk about that event and then not put it in the film? It, it just it's so disappointing to me, the, the, potentially because they hyped up that event and it didn't happen. It could be part of why this movie didn't resonate with me because it disappointed me a little bit because we didn't get that scene but at the same time there's a lot more than just that that kind of disappointed me with this film so yeah um anybody else have anything else before we get into spoilers uh, i'm good yeah i think i think i said yeah. what i can for general well um as mike uh as Mike mentioned in the synopsis, you know, the, the film is about humans that are adapting to a synthetic environment. Basically, uh, we, we are in a we're introduced to a world where humans uh, neither feel pain nor get infections anymore. Um, hence all the crazy body modification that we see throughout the film. Since no one has any risk of infection, they could literally perform surgery on the street and we actually do see that throughout the film and when i say surgery put quotations around that word surgery it's not like it's not like people are having open heart surgery necessarily it's just um some of the people in this world that still feel pain and still can get infections have this weird innate ability to grow organs in their body like functioning organs but organs that do not already exist in the human body if that makes sense it's not like they're growing another liver or another kidney they're literally growing just these masses of flesh in their body that are then uh, surgically removed in the uh, you know in in the guise of conceptual art they you know they they perform the surgery in front of an audience in front of a paying audience and then the organ itself uh, must be registered, which, you know, we'll get into that a little bit because that's kind of a silly little plot point in the movie. But 
So basically our movie opens with a cold open of a little boy um, playing at the side of the beach. And when he goes inside into his house, we see that he is eating, yes, eating a plastic waste basket from the bathroom. You know, the plastic waste basket that most of us have in our bathroom. I, I think I have a wicker one, but I think most people have plastic ones. But yeah, this little boy literally just, and, and not like he's being forced to, like he's enjoying it. Like he's eating the shit out of it and just not stopping, just eat, eat, eat. Um, and then his mother, oh, the woman that we assume is his mother at this point, because she's the one with him taking care of him. She ends up smothering him with a pillow, flat out murdering him. And then as soon as she murders her own son, she calls the father, her ex-husband, and tells him unceremoniously to p pick up the body of this thing that you call your son. So obviously, you know, we've already got a cool little mystery. You know, we've got a mom who doesn't recognize her son as her son, a boy who's eating plastic. So, you know, we've already got a little bit of a mystery going on. So that's cool. Very Cronenberg-like. Then we are introduced to Vigo Mortensen and Leia Sado's characters. Those are um, Saul Tenser. Vigo plays Saul Tenser. He is a conceptual artist. He's one of those humans that I spoke about that can still feel pain, can still get infections. I mean, he's very susceptible. We see him walking around with a mask throughout the movie, um, but without making a big deal about it. So it's not like it's heavy, heavy handed pandering by any stretch. So I, I did kind of like that. Um, like I said, Caprice is his, I guess you could say, assistant, almost like a magician's assistant, where he's the one laying on the slab, but she is the one who's actually performing the surgery. And they're using a, something called a sark. And what that is, is like it's an artificial sarcophagus um, that was meant for autopsies. It was it was meant to perform autopsies on dead bodies. But Caprice and Saul kind of modified the machine a little bit to make it now the, the surgery machine. So instead of performing autopsies, uh, they use it to remove these new organs that Saul and people like Saul are growing inside their bodies. Uh, we do see other types of conceptual artists in the film. Um, I'm sure in the trailer they show the guy covered with ears um, basically, you know, eyes sewn shut, mouth sewn shut. Uh, basically, a I think it's supposed to be a statement to say, you know, don't look, don't listen, or don't look, don't speak, only listen. Um, but it really just comes off as a little silly to me. Like, literally, the laughter in the theater was palpable. Like, it, it was almost like we were watching a comedy. Like, very few people in the movie in the movie theater took it seriously when they saw the guy covered in ears. So. Yeah, um, definitely not as shocking as maybe Cronenberg had hoped, but, you know, at least we got a good laugh out of it. Um, Caprice and Saul are introduced to, um, I, I forget the name of the guy, but he's basically, I think his name was Whippet. He is ba he runs the National Organ Registry, and basically he, he actually has a joke in the movie that the National Registry of Organs or the National Organ Registry is him. It's one person, one department. It's a one man department, and basically what they do there is they register those new organs. Um, what ends up what what is happening here is that as the new organs are growing inside of Saul's body. Caprice, his his um, his partner, is adding tattoos to them. She's actually tattooing the organs so that when they come out, they actually look somewhat decorative. They've got like black ink like designs on them. Well, maybe not tribal, but you know, just some cool looking designs. I think one had a, like a skull on it. One had like so just some jagged edges kind of imprinted on it. Blah blah blah. 
And then, and then that organ, once removed, goes to the National Organ Registry, where they hold on to it. Why? Who knows? Uh, once again, this is kind of uh, back to Don's point about uh, dangling plot points throughout the movie. Like, what are they doing with these organs? Who fucking knows? Um, but they are registering them, so there you go. Um, later in the film, uh, we find out that Vigo is actually working with a police officer, basically trying to find a surgeon who's doing illegal surgeries um, and potentially, you know, doing illegal things with some of these new organs that are grown. Uh, again, what are the illegal things that are being done? No one fucking knows. They don't tell us. And so, you know, uh, figure it out in your head what potentially could be happening with these uh, new organs that are being created. Um, and then this is where we are also introduced to uh, Kristen Stewart. She plays Tim Lynn, who is the assistant, who uh, Whippet's assistant at the National Organ Registry. And she's just this, like, you know, standoffish girl, glasses, hair tied up. Like, you know, like I said, definitely not a glamorous character by any stretch, but, you know, the girl next door type. Um, and like I said, she plays his assistant, but she seems to have more of an interest in these organs than even her boss. Um, but nobody really questions it too much uh, until we get the reveal later in the film, but we'll get to that. And then, uh, let's see. Um, Vigo is then introduced to another character named, named Lang. Lang, as it turns out, is the father of the boy from the cold open. Uh, the boy who was eating the plastic wastebasket and and the mother smothered him to kill him. So Lang is the father of this child. Um, Brecken uh, turns out to be the name of the child. Um, kind of a cool name. I, I kind of like that name. Um, and basically, Lang goes to uh, Saul, to Viggo Mortensen's character, and says, I have an art piece that I, uh, that I think would be cool for you, for you guys to do. And what it is, is he wants uh, Saul and Caprice to actually perform an autopsy on the boy. And the reason they want to do an or the reason that the dad at least kind of implies that he wants the autopsy done is because he wants to prove to the world that the boy is a natural plastic eater, as in he was born that way. Um, Mike was talking about the other the cult of folks that are in this movie. Um, basically, what's going on is, you know, this is a world where, you know, there are transformations and mutations. Food is a, is a commodity in this world. So basically, humans have adapted to consume waste product, most specifically plastic in this film. And, and they're actually called plastic eaters. They actually um, call each other plastic eaters. Um, they're actually doing this with synthetic means. Um, these are people who are trying to, as Mike said earlier, they were trying to kind of kick kick into gear the evolution of humans, you know, working their way away from eating natural food and eating the waste product that our planet is covered with. Um, unfortunately, there is a side effect that they didn't realize. And the side effect is they can no longer <laughs> eat normal food. They were hoping to make it so that they could eat food and plastic to try to help, you know, the environment. But unfortunately, because of the procedure, none of them can eat normal food. They are forced to eat plastic now. Yeah. And it's interesting they went with this because, you know, we always say like art imitates life. And I remember reading like a story a couple of years ago that like they're finding microplastics in like people's blood now because of all the pollution and just waste on our planet. It's so much plastic in the ocean that like it's affecting like 
obviously see life so then when we eat it it like transfers to us so no idea if that's how, like why they chose this or why Cronenberg specifically like wrote that uh, into the story but I, I did find it kind of interesting yeah yeah it's a great statement about the state of our environment you know I mean we as humans are the ones are the main culprit for destroying this the environment that we have this planet the only planet that we have and obviously mm-hmm. these people, you know, they, they wanted to try to save the planet by mutating themselves into being, you know, plastic eaters to get rid of all this waste and try to help bring, you know, bring the carbon footprint for humanity down a little bit. But obviously, like I said, because of the side effects, um, you know, they can only eat plastic. And so back to back to Brecken, like I said, Lang, Brecken's father, asks Saul to perform this autopsy. Saul, of course, is very... Um, unwilling to do it at first you know obviously there's the the public outcry that could come from performing an autopsy on a 10 year old boy in front of a paying audience um uh, and, and then a bunch of other legalities as well and obviously you know the dad uh, lang is trying to prove that brecken is a natural born uh, plastic eater so that he can show that a human evolution actually is working and progressing faster than anticipated um, uh, we'll, we'll get to the autopsy here in a little bit, right around this point in the film, um, Vigo Mortensen's character gets an invitation to something called the inner beauty ball or the inner beauty pageant. We all know about beauty pageants, Miss America, Miss USA, Miss universe, blah, blah, blah. Obviously those are about outward beauty, but when they spent the second half of this movie talking about the inner beauty pageant, obviously the images in my head are going crazy. I'm like, Oh great. This is going to be like dozens of these guys with mutations. And they're going to try to show who has the coolest mutation or the, the most helpful for the environment or blah, 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 whatever the case may be. Nope. We never get it. We literally, our movie ends well before, I, I mean, before Saul even gets a chance to register for the fucking inner beauty pageant, uh, the movie just kind of ends. So yeah, unfortunately that that's kind of a, that that's like the nature of my disappointment with this film, that they spent so much time building up this event that sounded like it was going to be fucking gnarly. Um, and then we don't get it. So I don't know. I, again, I got to question Cronenberg's choices here, but you know, who the hell am I to question an auteur, honestly, but still, um, so let's see. So it, uh, I've skipped a lot here, folks. I mean, there's, there's, this movie is almost two hours. I'm not going to do a scene by scene here with this one because it's just way too much to, you know, digest in, in the spoken form. It's definitely something that's more suited to watching on film. But um, finally, it is the uh, – oh, um, I forgot. We, we do get a scene where we see Vigo and Caprice do – it's it's called the new sex like in the movie they call uh they actually call traditional intercourse um the old sex vigo even has a line in the film when kristen stewart's character timlin comes in for a kiss and kisses him on the mouth he pulls her he pushes her back and says oh i'm not very good at the old sex i thought that line was really fucking great and obviously you, anybody looking at vigo should be able to know that because he can barely walk he's decrepit he has problems breathing you know, no, nobody would assume he's good at the old sex, but there it is. So the new sex uh, actually ends up being, like I said, a form of surgery in the sense that 
they're not removing any parts or causing themselves any major harm, but they are using the Sark machine, like I mentioned earlier, the sarcophagus, and actually hurting themselves. Like they're actually like stabbing themselves, slicing themselves open, um, things like that. And that's the new sex. Like I said, since so many people can't feel pain anymore, if the only thing that's going to cause them to feel anything is extreme body modification, then yeah, it makes sense that that becomes the new sex. So there you go. Um, and it's a pretty good scene, actually. Um, basically showing, you know, butt-ass naked Vigo and uh, Leia Sado, uh basically sitting on, the, laying on the Sark while the arms of the Sark periodically will come in and slice them with, a, with like a, a straight-edge razor. Not a straight-edge, but like a scalpel. Excuse me. Yeah, a scalpel. Um, basically just putting little cuts on them, like on their neck, on their chest. Um, apparently these people heal really fast because... They never show any scarring. I, I don't know if that's, again, the human evolution of this film, that there's very little scarring. But, yeah, I mean, everybody seems to heal right away. At one point in the movie, Vigo, you know, it, during the first conceptual art piece, cuts his midsection straight up the middle, like completely open. And then we see him later, and there's not even a scar there. There's a there's a horizontal scar, which we'll talk about later, because that's probably one of the creepiest things in the whole fucking movie. Um, but there's no vertical scar like the one that we saw during the procedure. So obviously either the machine is healing people or people just in this world just heal a lot faster uh, with no scarring, things like that. So, so finally, it is the day of the autopsy. Vigo has relented and um, with the, you know, with the blessing of the undercover cop that he's working with, um, he goes ahead and agrees to perform the mm -hmm. autopsy. The, the undercover cop, that's another character. I, I liked what he did on screen. I just wanted more. <laughs> exactly. I wanted more. For, for a movie that's almost two hours, I really, really wanted more of a lot of characters in this movie. I would have loved to have known more about Vigo pre this world. Like maybe a younger, um, you know, Saul Tenser. Like, you know, what kind of conceptual art was he doing before he was growing organs? Or was he even an artist to begin with? I mean, there's just so much left untold with this movie. Like I said, with the cop, with Kristen Stewart's character, um, everything else. It's just really unfortunate. Uh, we're also introduced to a couple of employees of the Life Firmware company. Uh, Life Firmware is the company that makes the sarcophagus. They also make Vigo Mortensen's um, bed and eating um, stand. It basically, <laughs> think if Leatherface made a made a chair to eat on. That's kind of what that chair looked like. It basically was like bone and and like. Uh, not sinew, but like connective, a little bit of connective tissue. And basically because of all the pain um, that Saul goes through when he eats, uh, the chair basically moves his body in a way that he can digest the food so that it will go down his throat multiple times. Yeah. In the he talks about how his throat is closing up. He can't really eat or drink anymore um, without the use yeah, of that chair. Yeah, he has to contort every so, so much to even get the food down. Because yeah. he can only eat, like, it looks like mashed fruit, almost like a, yeah, a cobbler or something. <laughs> Not even cobbler. Shit, cobbler has consistency. That was just mush. That was different colored mushes he was eating throughout the film. <laughs> um, and also, I forgot to mention, uh, at some point in the film, we are, when, when, when we get the explanation of the plastic eaters, 
we also find out that they're making a food source for themselves. They're actually making these, they look like chocolate bars. They basically look like your average Hershey bar or whatever, but they're obviously made of synthetic materials. And if someone who isn't a plastic eater eats one of these things, as we see in the film, they end up getting just violently ill and more than likely dying um, because he he just started puking up green stuff like crazy after he ate that candy bar. There was one guy basically who who basically snatched the candy bar out of Lang's hand in one scene in the film and just started eating it, you know, uh, just basically just took his candy, basically took his milkshake and drank it. Uh, but yeah, basically he had a violent reaction. And, um, so, you know, this is, this is this cult or this organization's way of kind of utilizing all the waste product in the world, processing it, and then turning it into a, a, a bar that can be like sold in stores or vending machines or whatever. So, um, so yeah, that's an important part of the film I forgot to mention. All right, so it is the night of the autopsy. As I said, Saul has agreed to perform the autopsy on the child. Lang is there. Um, oh, I forgot to finish my story about the, the two uh, life firmware uh, employees. There are two women who um, we see throughout the film who claim to be technicians of the sarcophagus and you know the, the bed and the, the uh, eating stand, the, the, the dinner stand, if you will. Um, basically, you know, saying that, you know, they're there to do updates, repairs, you know, whatever the client needs. But then we see them actually kill one of the clients. Like at one point in the film, they knock on another person's door, someone who looks like he has the same condition as Vigo. He's very pale. He walks very slow. He doesn't breathe very hard. Um, and they end up just murdering him unceremoniously. We don't even see it, ultimately. Uh, basically, they walk into this guy's apartment, and then literally the very next scene, we see them walking out, and we see the guy dead on the chair with what we think is a bullet hole. It looks like a small hole near his temple where blood is coming out. So, you know, I, I guess most of us just kind of assume that they shot him. Um Back to the autopsy, uh, Vigo is performing the autopsy, or not Vigo, excuse me, Caprice is performing the autopsy. And while she's performing the autopsy, she's obviously um, performing this soliloquy about, you know, the nature of beauty and art and, you know, what what makes a person, you know, what makes us human, things like that. Just, you know, a, a lot of um, artistic statements that she's saying. And then finally, we get the incision, we cut open the boy and open up the boy's chest. And what do we find? Every single organ in the boy's body is tattooed, which means those are new organs that were created after his birth. So he is not a born plastic eater, as was assumed. Um, what we end up getting is we end up getting a reveal later with the two uh, the two life uh, firmware people, the two women who are working for life firmware, where they end up going and speaking to Lang, the father of uh, Brecken, after the autopsy. Uh, Lang is very visibly distraught. Like he's, I don't know if he's pretending or what, uh, but basically he's trying to say that he had no idea. But the two women, the, the life firmware people, they both are like, no, no, no. We we know what you did. You contacted Timlin, Timlin, who is uh, Kristen Stewart's character. And as it turns out, it was Timlin 
who actually did all the tattooing on these organs in the boy's body. And she is the one who made him into a plastic eater. She had to have done it uh, at, at a very early age, like well before the boy would have had any, you know, memories or anything. So, so yeah, that's the big reveal that the boy is not a natural plastic eater. Once the two women from Life Firmware make this realization, they both pull out drills and drill right into Lang's skull, killing him fairly instantly. Um, it does look fairly painful because the drill bits aren't ultra um, thick or long. They're, they're kind of small, so it looks like it's meant to be as painful a death as possible. But yeah, they literally unceremoniously take him out. They put, they just, they both insert their drills and, you know, I, I thought at that point, I'm thinking, okay, are we finally going to get an explanation of who these two women are? Nope. <laughs> we never see him again the rest of the film. Granted, there's only about two minutes left in the film at this point. Um, so more dangling plot points left undone. And then basically our final scene of the film is Vigo. What, what, what was your get? What was your get? I, uh, were they like some type of hired assassins, like undercover or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think I think that there were rules involved with using the life firmware stuff, like the sarcophagus. And I think uh -huh. anybody who maybe used it incorrectly would get off. It, it's almost like a, uh, you remember that movie? What was that movie about the organs? Um Ah, about people who would like lease new organs. Um, Forrest Whitaker was in it. God damn it. I can't even remember that movie. Oh, I know what you're talking about. It, it, it was the organ exchange Wait, movie oh, man, where everybody, remember. you know, and if they didn't pay, uh, you know, they, they got repossessed. Repo Man, right? Repo Men. It was called Repo Men. Yep. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I was thinking that maybe some, maybe these life uh, affirm people or life firmware people, excuse me. I figured they were just um, kind of. Uh, taking out people that were using their equipment either illegally or, you know, were doing nefarious things with them, things like that. Again, that's, there's that's no much more harsh than a fine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But again, this is my interpretation because there's no explanation in the film. I mean, we, we barely find out what those women, uh, those two women's names are. I think Burst and Juna were the, the names of those two women. But yeah, like I said, they're introduced. We see them naked real quick, you know, when they, they're playing around with Caprice. And the fact that they are assassins, but they don't ever bother with Caprice or Saul, like, I, I don't know, it, it just felt weird that they were the ones who showed up for the repair, for the for the firmware update that Saul needed, mm -hmm. and, and yet they don't really ever bother them. Like, so apparently Saul and Caprice weren't doing anything immoral or illegal with the equipment, so they didn't take them out for whatever reason. Uh, but anyway, like I said, the final scene of the movie is Vigo. He is sitting on his um, high chair, his eating chair, if you will. Um, as usual, in every scene that we've seen where he's been in the chair, he's having a lot of trouble eating, a lot of trouble swallowing. He's having trouble just getting the spoon up to his mouth. And we see him kind of have a moment where he's just like, well, fuck it. I, I just can't do this anymore. I don't. You know, it's not worth the pain that I'm going through to eat and blah, blah, blah. At this point, Caprice walks into the room with one of those chocolate bars um, that Lang mm -hmm. and his group had made. And she unwraps it and gives it to him. He takes a bite out of it and he starts and he's as he's chewing it, he starts a, a smile starts to crack on his face and he sheds a single tear. Uh, before the credits end or before the credits begin. And that's the end of our film, folks. That is Crimes of the Future 2022. 
my interpretation of that ending, and I could be 100% wrong, but I think my interpretation is that um, Viggo Mortensen's character, Saul Tensor, actually is the first natural plastic eater. But because, you know, he denied it, maybe he just never tried it at any point in his life. Maybe that's why he had so much trouble eating uh, throughout the entire yeah. film. But um, yeah, it, it's like this group was trying to prove that Brecken was the first natural plastic eater when they've literally had a, a natural born plastic eater right there in front of their face the entire time. But even he didn't know. Even Saul didn't know until this final. Well, season. he didn't know. And it, he didn't know. And it makes me wonder if like even the, you know, attempt, even in its most basic, like mushy form. Was causing like the organ stuff to happen with him, right? Like there was because because like the um, the I don't even know what you call. It. I don't want to say disease, whatever they refer to it as a syndrome. I guess that causes you to grow extra mm-hmm. non-human organs or whatever. Like, like it is acknowledges like there is a few other people out there, but it's not like a widespread high amount of people that maybe this is like it's kind of a reveal that like okay natural plastic eaters because of everything with the environment these people are slowly um being born and like evolved into that and maybe because they were not aware of this and they were eating the food that's I'm trying to digest human food was creating these organs. And the reason I say that is because it's not like, you know, it was creating like a new lung or or a heart or intestine. It was just unidentifiable masses of flesh. Yeah, exactly. They called them, they called them functioning organs. But what's the function? (laughs) They never told us. (laughs) Exactly. Because I thought like, I thought at one time someone referred to it as like alien or. alien from another planet right i think that's more what they meant i yeah i can't imagine i mean but that yeah but that was my interpretation of the ending like uh, i think like it yes the reveal was like plastic eater and then i took it to mean like maybe because he was a plastic eater that eating the human food even with all the assistance from the uh, i guess you want to call them like flesh machines or whatever uh, that's what was causing the organs to grow Potentially, yeah. No, definitely. Like I said, this is a this is a movie much like many Cronenberg movies where it's really up into the it's left up to the interpretation of the viewer. If you know, if you think this is a statement on the environment and the state of the world, then you're right. If you think this is a statement on the nature of beauty and art, you're also right. And if you think that this is just, you know, a weird Canadian's fever dream, then I'm not going to say you're wrong on that one either. So, <laughs> um, like I said, I, I've said a lot of negative things about the movie, but ultimately I didn't hate the time that I spent with it. For the most part, I was on board, but just every time they would leave a dangling plot point unfulfilled, it just made me more and more disappointed with the film. The fact that we know nothing about the cop, nothing about the assassins, Nothing about, I mean, maybe not nothing, but very little about Timlin. Like, even once we get the reveal that Timlin is the one who was responsible for what happened to Brecken's body, we never see her again. There's no repercussions. There's no nothing. She just disappears. Like, like she's not even discussed. Like, she's not even spoken about. The movie just ends. And 
I don't know. I mean, I know Cronenberg likes to be ambiguous with some of his films, and and obviously we all know I appreciate a little bit of that in my horror films, but this was too much. And like I said, the whole you mentioned how we don't know how widespread this whole thing is. This is this goes back to my comment earlier about the lack of world building. There's no world building in this movie. We don't know if all of this is ha- only happening in this town, in this city. Is it the whole world? Is it different in other countries? Maybe in you know in, in more third world countries, the 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 syndrome acts a little bit different. I don't know. Just give us something. There's no world building here at all, and that's too bad because. Honestly, the world building is some of my favorite parts of Cronenberg movies with Videodrome and Crash and um, the, the Fly, you know. Yeah, but maybe not the Fly so much. That's that's definitely more of an isolated story. But Crash and, and Videodrome, definitely. They had a broader scope and they had a better sense of building the world. Whereas here, like I said, it's just there's no world building whatsoever. It's very little... Um, character development here it's like we meet the characters we get a couple of little tidbits about who they are and then boom they just go and do whatever it is they're going to do um which is fine i don't usually have a problem with that but in this movie with some of the interesting characters that we had i really like to would have liked to have seen a little bit of expansion on some of them now like i said the movie's already almost two hours long so i'm not saying i want a two and a half hour movie especially not this one (laughs) but um, there's definitely a lot of story left to be told on, uh, in this world, you know, the, the, the way that they left it, the way that they, yeah, the way that the ending kind of left it, um, the dangling plot points, the characters who we have no idea, the, the whole, I mean, the cop, the whole thing with the cop, it's like, there was no culmination there either. You know, I mean, the, the cop just kind of disappears, you know, um, Vigo meets him a couple of times, they have a conversation and then he's just gone forever. So, um, you know, what can I say? It, it, it's it's a it's a incredibly well made film that to me is uh, slightly flawed. But you know, hopefully you guys liked it more than I did. I really really hope you liked it more than I did. <laughs> yeah. the The only justification I have for the cop kind of disappearing is once the kind of leader of the cult is murdered. I guess that takes because really the cop was trying to enlist people to like infiltrate the cult and take them down. Right. Down, but so the, maybe they're like, well, now that the leader's dead, my mission's over. But the thing is, is that the the cop was more interested in the doctor that got him into the inner beauty pageant. You remember that? Not, not the guy from the organ registry. Um, he was obviously the judge, but yeah. um, the doctor that he went to see, like right before he went to see that guy, uh, Vigo and the cop had a scene where it seemed like they were kind of targeting him somehow. Because the, cause the cop even says, oh, you got an appointment to see that guy? Good. Go see him. You know, uh, almost like he suspects him of something. But again, that was left angle. Like that particular character, we see him for one, not the cop, but the, the doctor guy. We literally see him for one scene. He mentions the inner beauty pageant a couple of times and then that's it. We never see him again. So, yeah, that that's going to be my biggest complaint with the movie is just the lack of um, plot uh, of discernible plot points. And finishing the plot points, you know, it just seems like there's a lot of plots in this film that are left unresolved. And, you know, again, that could be what Cronenberg's going for. So who knows? I hope you guys like it more than I do. That's all I can say. <laughs> nah, I think I'm lower than everybody. Yeah, I mean, you, you've already said you're not a Cronenberg guy. So, you know, it, 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 you know, there's nothing wrong there at all. 
ultimately, you know, the, the, even even I, who am a Cronenberg guy, am not ultra high on this film. You know, I, I've already said my piece about it. it. It's a solid film. It's just not it's not anything I'll return to too much. Like I said, I'm going to watch it again next weekend to get that second watch in. But um, based on my past um, experiences with second watches, I can't imagine it's going to change my rating too much. So that's it for me, Mike. Okay, well, uh, I guess with that, uh, it wraps up our discussion on Crimes of the Future by David Cronenberg. Yay! Oh. <laughs> let's go around and find out where else we could be heard. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, um, Venom, what else you got out right now? Um, nothing new since the last time we spoke. Uh, Creature Comforts Episode 9 is still the latest episode. We look at Cloverfield with our special guest, David Garrett Jr. On um, the main show, our last episode was still um, episode 45, I believe. 45 or 46. I keep forgetting the numbering on uh, that one. <clears throat> we, we uh, again, unfortunately had to postpone um, the recording of episode 46 or 47. Um, due to me having a physical issue yesterday, I, I woke up feeling like garbage. So, yeah, podcast wasn't going to happen. Um, but that'll be happening this weekend. And then Creature Comforts episode 10 will also be recording this weekend. I, uh, because of Father's Day this month, um, I figured we should go ahead and record shows a little bit earlier. We tend to do Creature Comforts towards the end of the month. But because June 19th is Father's Day, we're going to go ahead and do it this coming Sunday. And that... Uh, on that episode, we are going to look at the 2010 film by Gareth Edwards called Monsters, a movie that makes perfect sense for us. And the and thing the thing that's going to be really different about this one is it's going to be a first time watch for all three of us. So this is going to be interesting. Um, obviously, Gareth Edwards um, directed the first legendary um, Godzilla movie, the 2014 Godzilla movie. Oh, um, that's who it was. I thought it was yeah, the guy that directed the raid. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think Gareth Edwards directed that. I could be wrong, but yeah, he definitely. I don't, I don't know why. I, I I always thought that was the guy that did the raid. Because this, um, uh, what do you call it? The movie that we're reviewing on Creature Comforts, Monsters. That's the movie that actually got him the Godzilla job. He actually, I mean, I, I, the hell am the I story... thinking of? Who? I I don't know. Sorry to cut you off, but I'm, yeah. I'm just saying. I I always thought it was the raid that got him Godzilla. Um, that's the story I heard was that it was monsters, but I mean, I, I guess I could be wrong. I, I don't know. I, I always thought the guy that did the raid was the one that did Godzilla. Maybe I'm thinking of a different person. Uh, potentially or a different Godzilla potentially too. I'm not sure. I gotta find out who directed the raid. <laughs> that's the raid redemption, right? From 2011. Mm, yeah. The first one, uh, Gareth Evans. That's ah. yeah, Gareth Edwards is the guy that we're looking at. Okay, that's <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, they almost look alike too. That's funny. Ooh, wow. <laughs> I'm looking at pictures. <laughs> oh, I I didn't even know what they look like. I was just going off the name. Wow. Okay, right. so that makes well, that makes even more sense then because the names are so similar. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the raid, the raid two apostle. Uh, those are all Gareth Evans. And then Gareth Edwards is uh, Monsters, uh, Godzilla. I forget what else he's done. But, yeah. Okay. Well, sorry to distract, but yeah. Okay, cool. Now I, I know that. 
Well, I actually learned this was the fact for the day then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> awesome. And uh, I think that's it for me. Like I said, I, I had that last guest appearance on the Dark Parade. I'm not even sure if that episode has been released yet, but uh, we looked at the, the Bride of Frankenstein, which is my favorite Universal classic. Um, and that's it for me, Mike. Not a whole lot on the podcast front from me lately. All right, Don, how about you? Yeah, um, again, not much else. Uh, just the latest episode of uh, Creature Comforts. And, uh, you know, now I know what uh, director I'm talking about on the uh, upcoming one. Um, latest episode of uh, Horror Countdown. I was uh, joined by uh, an actor friend of mine. Um, I, always, I, 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 met, I said his name on the beginning of the show, and I only said it once. I think his name is Troy Elke. I, I'm not sure who I'm not okay. sure, but yeah, it it, it well, it's a weird spelling too. So I, I kind of just I I said it once and I just kept on calling him Troy because I didn't want to attempt to pronounce his last name again. But um, <laughs> yeah, he and I looked at um, our favorite genre crushes. So uh, not necessarily our favorite actors actresses, but uh, just you know the ones that we all you know all kind of had a thing for. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was uh, pretty fun. Not, uh, you know, one of our longer discussions, but uh, yeah, it was a fun time. Uh, That one's available everywhere. Um, Yeah, not much else that I know of. So I think that's just about it for me. All right. And for me, this is it. Fresh cuts. (laughs) Since the main show got uh, postponed. Uh, it's just fresh cuts. Speaking of which, um, are we, is there anything theatrical coming out this week? Watcher. I can't remember. Watcher. Watcher. Yeah, I think Watcher, yeah, I think Watcher came out last Friday too. Yep. Yeah, 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 because we said that there was one week where there was two, and I think that was this one. Because I think it was Crimes, I think it was Crimes and Watcher, yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Now, do you know, is it expanding screens this week, or is it just that... It's playing I, at AMC my, here. It's playing okay. at the Metro. Well, I know here. my city had screens for it last week, but it's not, like, everywhere, like, most wide releases are, so... No, I'll have no, to it, see. It's part, of, it's part of the AMC Thrills and Chills series, so it should be playing at AMC for at least a few weeks. They ne- They never play it for just one week, unless it's a special engagement where it's, like, one night only, like that Lynn Shea movie from a couple of years ago, but otherwise, yeah, it should still be in theaters this week. Okay, cool. Well, then that'll probably be our next movie then. Uh, I'll watch her with the uh, main lady from It Follows, correct? I believe so. Yeah, that sounds right. And uh, what? Uh, no. Is her name like Malcolm Monroe? What's her for? My- her last name's Monroe. I think it's I think it's Micah or Micah Monroe maybe. Micah Monroe. Sounds yeah. good. <laughs> She's it follows in the guest, right? Are the two big ones that everyone should know her from? Yeah, I th- if it's the girl I'm thinking of, yeah, I think that's her. Makika. Makika Monroe. Makika. Okay, there was an extra K in there for some reason. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Yeah. So. That's probably going to be the next uh, movie that we cover next week on Fresh Cuts. So, yeah, we'll be back in a week's time. But uh, until then, 
Well, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, let's say bye to our listener. Later. Adios, folks. Don't cut into your own flesh for sexual pleasure. It just, it, it always ends up bad. All hail the new sex. <laughs> Very nice. Or is it long live the new sex? <laughs> hmm. They both work, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> Peace.